shop for expensive professionals. Well, at Blindster, if you have a tape measure and a screwdriver, you can install our custom blinds and save big. Plus, we guarantee they'll fit. Blindster.com. Is this, the this is the KBLA Sports Minute with Ray Richardson. Ray Richardson. Golden State is a four and a half point favorite over the Lakers in game one of the Western Conference semifinals. Game one is Tuesday night in San Francisco, 7 p.m. tip on TNT. The NBA fined Memphis guard Dylan Brooks $25,000 for not making himself available to the media after the three games in L.A. Dylan did talk to Memphis reporters on Sunday and said he had no regrets for calling LeBron old. Dylan is an unrestricted free agent this summer. Memphis GM Zach Kleeman declined to say if he wants Dylan back. Kleeman said the franchise will be taking a different approach next season. Final thought on the NFL draft, and it's not good. Only one player from an HBCU school was selected in the seven-round draft. Jackson State cornerback Isaiah Bolden was taken by New England in the seventh round. No debates, no speculation, just the info you need. That's your KBLA Sports Minute. I'm Ray Richardson. More news, opinions, and conversation when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. We begin top story with late breaking news. Is it going to succeed, yes or no? I think it's going to succeed. It's going to succeed. Can you believe it? Y'all did it! KBLA Talk 1580 is about to celebrate its second anniversary on Juneteenth and no terrible twos around here. We couldn't be more excited about all the good news we'll be announcing soon, including the launch of some new shows to keep giving you more of what you've been looking for. Come on! Smart Radio for Smart People. Hey, it's our celebration, but you get all the gifts. We'll be giving away fresh merch, swag bags, and a chance for you to join the private invitation only. Star-studded music and dance till you drop food and drink galore second anniversary celebration. To stay in the know about the second anniversary details, download the KBLA Talk 1580 app right now. Don't miss out on your chance to be a winner at KBLA Talk 1580. When we come forward, we're bringing everybody with us. Happy anniversary, KBLA! First Republic is no more. Regulators seized the embattled lender overnight, and so did J.P. Morgan Chase. What is now America's second biggest bank failure after the 2008 collapse of Washington Mutual means that 84 bank branches that closed as First Republic locations on Friday opened up today as Chase branches. Hundreds of Texas officers are looking for the gunman accused of killing five people after a dispute between neighbors. The suspect went on a rampage with an AR-15 style gun. This happened on Friday at his neighbor's home after being asked to stop shooting in his yard while their baby slept. The youngest killed was a nine-year-old boy. There were 10 people, all family, inside the house, and luckily five survived. This is the latest in a series of recent retaliatory shootings. The 38-year-old suspect has been on the run for several days now, and there's actually an $80,000 reward out for anyone that has information uh, that will help law enforcement apprehend this shooter who's been described as armed and dangerous. Yesterday, Senator Tim Scott, a Republican senator from South Carolina, said he will make a major announcement in Charleston, South Carolina, on May 22nd. Now, this comes weeks after he launched an exploratory committee for a presidential bid. Scott, the first black senator from South Carolina and the only black Republican senator, could become the second GOP candidate from the state in the 2024 race. Remember, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, also from South Carolina, announced her bid for president last month. 
A state representative in Montana asked a court on Monday to allow her to return to the House floor for the rest of the state's legislative session, arguing that her First Amendment rights had been violated after an escalating standoff over her remarks on transgender issues. Representative Zoe Zephyr, a Democrat from Missoula, was barred last week from participating in deliberations in the House chamber after she made an impassioned comment about opposing a ban on hormone treatments and surgical care for transgender minors. The bill, which passed, has since been signed by the governor of Montana, who happens to be a Republican. Well, the Met Gala, the fashion world's annual extravaganza, is happening tonight. A star-studded event in New York that raises money for the Metropolitan Museum of Arts Costume Institute. It's organized each year by Vogue Editor-in-Chief Anna Wintour, and this year's theme is based on an individual, designer Carl Lagerfeld, rather than a concept, which is what's usually the theme. Lagerfeld died in 2019 and is known for transforming the brand Chanel. We'll be watching to see what the celebrities are wearing and asking why is America so fascinated with celebrity events. Comedian and Daily Host correspondent Roy Wood hosted Saturday night's White House Correspondent Dinner. But Roy wasn't the only one with jokes. Yes, Joe Biden took to the mic with his own brand of humor and landed this one. This is what Joe Biden had to say. It's great. The cable news networks are here tonight. MSNBC owned by NBC Universal. Fox News owned by Dominion Voting Systems, Biden said. He went on to say, last year, your favorite Fox News reporters were able to attend because they were fully vaccinated and boosted. This year, with that $787 million settlement, they're here because they couldn't say no to a free meal. <laughs> I hope you're laughing because it did draw a big laugh from the audience. We're going to talk more about the correspondence dinner uh, and what Joe Biden had to say. This is Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one-stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. In my first hour, I'm joined by two brilliant contributors, Gustavo Arellano. Ar Ar mm, Get those uh, vowels in the right place. Arellano, he's a columnist for the Los Angeles Times, and Chris Scott, a Democratic strategist. Uh, is here to help us break down today's trending news. And in our second hour, it's all about the law and big impact trials. We're going to be talking about Donald Trump's legal team's motion for a mistrial in the defamation and sexual assault trial involving accuser E. Jean Carroll. She uh, withstood grueling hours of cross-examination last week by Trump's attorney, uh, who now says the judge is being unfair to Donald Trump. I'm going to talk to one of the nation's leading civil rights uh, attorneys and litigators about what this trial means and what a verdict in favor of E. Jean Carroll will mean for the Me Too movement and the 2024 election. But before I bring on my guests, here's what I'm thinking about in real time. I'm asking myself and asking all of you, what's up when a country... Yes, I do mean a country, demands that a streaming site cancel a show because of the race, i.e. the skin color, of its cast. That sounds really strange, right? 
but this is real news happening in real time. Egypt has accused Netflix of rep misrepresenting history by casting a black woman to play Cleopatra, its most famous historical figure in a new docuseries called Queen Cleopatra. This docuseries is set to be released on May 10th and features actress, African-American actress, she's actually uh, of mixed race, Adele James. She is cast to play Cleopatra, the lead role in this uh, docuseries. Now, the streaming giant Netflix says this is a nod to the centuries-long conversation about the ruler's race, but which officials in Cairo have dismissed as blatant historical fallacy. Egypt's Ministry of Tourism argued that the documentary uh, nature of this film or of this feature requires those in charge of its production to investigate accuracy and rely on historical and scientific facts. Now, he goes on to say coins and statues from the time show a light-skinned woman in keeping with Cleopatra's Macedonian Greek ancestry. Now, this is what the Egypt's Ministry of Tourism is saying. He actually used the word light-skinned. Well, as you can imagine, the filmmaker and series director, Tina Har Harari, Harari uh, she had a few choice words about the races and colorism uh, that she has received for casting a Black actor as Queen Cleopatra, a decision she made, she said, following decades of academic discourse about Cleopatra's uh, roots. And she said, she asked this question, why shouldn't Cleopatra be a melanated sister? And why do some people need Cleopatra to be white? Her proximity to whiteness seems to give her value. And for some Egyptians, it seems to really matter. And this is what the director said. She went on to defend Adele James' casting by saying that historians can confirm that it is more likely that Cleopatra looked like Adele James than Elizabeth Taylor ever did. Now, remember, Elizabeth Taylor notably played Cleopatra in an Oscar-winning 1963 movie about the Queen. Now, this director says she doesn't remember the entire country of Egypt demanding that the film starring Elizabeth Taylor be canceled. I, I, this story is so shocking and appalling. There were actually 100,000 people who signed a petition that Netflix canceled this series. And both the director and the actress, Adele James, and I think even Netflix had to turn the comments section off of their social media because they were getting bombarded with so many racist and vile comments. Uh, finally, Adele James had to you know, clap back and say, look, we need to have a conversation with ourselves about colorism and the internalized white supremacy that Hollywood has indoctrinated us with. Now, this is actually a statement by the director, not Adele. Adele said, look, if you don't like the casting, then don't watch the damn show. Well, she didn't say damn show, those are my words. But that's how I'm feeling about this. I am just stunned by this, again, that this entire country would be out front arguing that somehow a Black woman playing Cleopatra is, is so offensive to them. And then they made this statement. I read a statement by someone from the Egyptian government that this is no offense to Black women. Well, guess what? It really is. It really, really is. 
And it's just unthinkable the kind of energy and time that's being put into their protests about Adele James when Elizabeth Taylor played Cleopatra. There were two white women in the running for this role for Cleopatra in this feature as well. And I can remember growing up, everybody we saw on TV was white from Santa Claus to Jesus. So now all of a sudden a black woman gets a role as Cleopatra and a whole nation wants to rain down on her and the internet's gone crazy, lost its mind, all these abusive, uh, horrible statements, even the use of the N-word to the point where Adele James had to turn off her comments on her social media. We gotta do better, America. Uh, we have to figure out a way to rid ourselves of this internalized white supremacy because it impacts us in just about everything that we do in this nation. I I'm still scratching my head uh, about this controversy that shouldn't be a controversy and when we should be celebrating this young, talented actress. We are now trying to protect her from vile racist statements. That's happening, y'all. In real time, never underestimate that racism is real. When we come forward, more of today's trending news right here on KBLA 1580. She's the real deal in real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Hey, did you know nacho fries are back at Taco Bell? But they're not going to hang around forever. So don't wait. Or you might miss out on these hot, crisp fries covered in all those bold Mexican spices with delicious nacho cheese sauce. Or wait and just settle for flavorless fries. Regular, bland, spiceless, flavorless, flimsy, non-nacho fries. <sighs> just an absolute bummer of a fry. Nacho fries are back. Get them today. Only at Taco Bell. I participate in U.S. Taco Bell locations for a limited time only while supplies last. Contact local store for hours and participation which fair. Gain presents a tale of longing and long-lasting scent. Dear love of my life, we were on the 12B bus when I caught a whiff. A scent so fresh, so life-changing, I had to find its source. I didn't know if you were the woman in the pink freshly washed cardigan or the retired mailman next to me. But I knew one of you was my soulmate. Ah, the scent of Gain Flings. Add Gain Scent Beads for an even longer lasting scent. The way we spend our time defines who we are. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. All right, I am back with my two brilliant contributors. The first uh, person, Gustavo, whose name I totally butchered. Apologies, my friend, Gustavo. Arieyano is with us. He's a columnist for the Los Angeles Times and Democratic strategist Chris Scott is here. Welcome back to both of you and thank you for joining. I want to start off with uh, the great senator from South Carolina, uh, Gustavo. Does, <laughs> I, you know, these Republican senators who are polling under 5% and some even under 1%, does Senator Tim Scott have a lane to run in this Republican primary for president? As long as he tries to not be like Trump, absolutely. No one is going to out-Trump Trump. And Tim Scott does not seem like that type of person. But then what do you have to offer to the American people? And specifically, since we're still in a primary mode, what do you offer to Republicans? They're going to take those Republicans. Way, the, the away from the tr the cult of Trump or the DeSantis fanboys 
Nothing against South Carolina, but South Carolina really doesn't figure in the American imagination the way Florida does or the way Trump does. And already you have another South Carolinan in the mix and Nikki Haley. So what are you also going to offer that Nikki Haley is not offering? So best of luck to Tim. Best of luck to anyone who is not Donald Trump in that, you know, in that Republican primary. But good luck as well. Yeah, I know you said you can't try to out Trump Trump, but seemingly the base is not interested in anyone that is, you know, remotely civil, anyone that's remotely, <laughs> uh, you know, reasonable on issues like abortion or gun control or any of the issues that are resonating with voters. Uh, Chris, what are you thinking about a Tim Scott run for president? Does he really have a shot or is this just I don't know, is he performing for a position in the White House, assuming a Republican wins? Yeah, I, I just don't see a pathway uh, for Senator Scott here. Uh, I think, like Gustavo says, uh, South Carolina isn't really attractive, uh, especially <laughs> to the Republican base and the grander scheme of things. Uh, but again, like you got to think back to when Trump first ran and how he shredded that Republican primary. I've never seen Tim Scott to really have the audacity and the confidence going forward uh, in a lot of the things that he's speaking about to be able to command the base's attention. So uh, I think it's, you know, get my name out there and Let's give it a good try. But I think in Trump's uh, Republican Party still, there's just no way he has a, a fighting chance here. Yeah, it, it's just puzzling to me, Nikki Haley, including uh, included with someone like Tim Scott. And, you know, let's talk about Mike Pence and others who want to be, uh, you know, who are running for president, or at least Mike Pence hasn't announced it yet. But maybe the, the thinking is if something happens to Trump, i.e., uh, you know, some kind of a conviction in one of these various legal cases that he's embattled in, or maybe something happens to him, they're going to be there to pick up the pieces. Maybe that's the thinking behind this. Uh, I want to talk about this representative uh, from Montana, uh, Gustavo. So we saw these Tennessee Republicans kick out the two Justins because they didn't like basically their comments and their stance and their advocacy around guns. And now we're seeing Montana Republicans kick out a Democrat, a trans Democrat, who's talking about uh, you know, her opposition to the ban that it was passed, a law and signed by the governor regarding home hormone treatments and surgical care for transgender minors. So is that going to become you know, kind of the uh, modus operandi of Republican lawmakers if you are in a state where the Republicans control the party and they don't like your advocacy, whether it's on guns or, or hormone treatments or, that, you know, whatever, they, they just kick you out of the legislature. That's always been the Republicans, a party that always cries cancel culture. They're the ultimate cancelers, the party that cries, oh, snowflakes, Democrats and libs are a bunch of snowflakes. They melt faster than the Sierra Nevadas are going to be melting in the next couple of weeks here in, in California. This is the party of hypocrisy. And look, Democrats do the same thing as well. But they do not assume the mantle of the supposed mantle of freedom that supposedly Reagan and, and now in their world, Trump does. I mean, again, right now, what we have as Republicans, you don't have many Republicans at all because they are all beholden to Trump, the least principled person ever, the person who 
says we must attack our enemies. We must destroy them. We must silence them. We must disrespect them. So you're seeing more of these legislatures all across the United States do it, especially where do, they do have that majority. But you're angering uh, the next generation, the next generation is not just more liberal and so ironically they say the next generation doesn't want to hear opposing viewpoints they're more willing they're more than willing to hear opposing viewpoints but they better be smart viewpoints if they're dumb viewpoints or they're dumb actions then don't be surprised when they start yelling at you and protesting you they start running for office and then they start beating you but can you think of a, a legislative bodies chris that a democratic control legislative body that has kicked out a Republican lawmaker because that person opposed them on an issue. Because in Tennessee, it was, you know, using, I guess, the bullhorn because their mics had been turned off. But the fundamental issue was gun control. And in Montana, the fundamental issue is opposition to this ban on surgical treatments. So basically, they had this, this woman sitting out in the hallway and demanding that she apologize before they would allow her back into the house. I, I don't know. Has this is that how Dems operate? I mean, I can think of some at the federal level, you know, Democrats yeah, I mean, voted I mean, you, out lawmakers, but not because they oppose them on issues. You just don't see this behavior from uh, Democrats, but the hypocrisy in the Republican Party, we see it over and over again. I mean, that's why they're passing bills like don't say gay in Florida. Uh, that's why you see them getting more restrictive bills in Ohio or in Texas, where they even uh, limited how much the media can even come in and film their uh, open session. If you say something that they do not like, they're that school bully that can't take getting their feelings hurt, and they're going to shut off their mic, uh, your mic, or they're going to kick you out the uh, session. And that's just where this uh, party is, and I don't see it changing uh, anytime soon. That's really, really scary because that means that people go to the polls, they vote for elect for their elected official. And that elected official can get kicked out for standing up for issues that that community cares about. So you're not just kicking out that elected official. You are disenfranchising thousands and thousands of voters that went to the polls to vote for this person. Now, obviously, this Montana lawmaker, she's filed an action. ACLU's gotten involved. Uh, they're trying to get an injunction against you know these state lawmakers. But it's really, really hard to, to just imagine where our democracy goes if opposition on issues. I'm not talking about threatening comments or some of the things like, you know, we've seen Marjorie Taylor Greene do where she's shouting at someone, calling them a liar and, you know, obstructive behavior. But these are just impassioned speeches about the real issues, issues that you want your legislators to be engaged in and engaged around. Uh, but yet they pay a price. So it's almost, you know, it's, it must be really scary to be a Democrat in one of these, uh, you know, legislative houses if you can't speak your mind without fear of being kicked out. Uh, and that brings me to this story about this Texas uh, guy, shooter, suspect. Chris, what do you, I mean, here we go again, right? Hopes and prayers, again. right? Hopes and prayers. Thoughts, prayers, hopes, prayer. You know, no, this, these people with these AR-15 rifles, I mean, you, you knock on a, a neighbor's door and say, hey, you know, can you keep the noise down? And the guy comes back and shoots up your house, a house with 10 people in it. 
and five people are murdered, including a nine-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have any hope that we are going to, like a state like Texas, do they care about this like slaughter? Well, I, I think the disheartening point, we know we're going into a major election year and we know typically nothing gets done uh, in the year leading up to the election because it's all political theater and posturing uh, in hopes that uh, your party uh, gets control again. So I don't think you're going to see uh, anything happen. But again, like this is at this point, this has become trauma porn to the everyday American. I think a lot of folks are getting numb uh, and are becoming disheartened that it's really not going to change. It doesn't matter how many people are on the victim list at this point. It's just a reoccurring thing. It's the reason why uh, European countries are issuing travel warnings to the U.S., which is really, really alarming at this point uh, in our nation's history. No, that that's such an excellent point. And I think you're right. I, I like the use of the word, you know, trauma porn. We talk about it in the context of black men being shot by police and, you know, that becoming racial porn, trauma porn. And here we are again. It just doesn't matter if it's five people, if it's 10 people, if it's a nine-year-old, it's a five-year-old. The age doesn't matter. The gender doesn't matter. The circumstances don't matter. Uh, it just seems like the way we resolve disputes in this country is by using guns. I mean, we're just getting over the young kid, you know, in Kansas City, knocking on the door and getting blasted, you know, shot in the head, literally, the cheerleader getting shot. I mean, we, there's just so many of these cases where people are, are shot and in this case killed for no apparent reason whatsoever, other than we have too many doggone guns in this country and we refuse to deal with it. And anybody can walk into a store in some states and buy not just a pistol, but an AR-15 style rifle and literally within minutes, seconds can, you know, destroy the lives of so many people. And as you said, we as a country have become so numb to it. Uh, when we come forward, uh, more about uh, what's happening as we lead up to, as Chris said, the 2024 election a lot of Democrats say they're going to fall in line behind Joe Biden, but they're not happy. And they talk about his age as being one of the reasons they're not so happy about supporting him. And that became a subject matter of the White House Correspondents' Dinner with Roy Wood, who made a lot of jokes about Joe Biden's age. And Biden followed suit, made some jokes about his own age. Uh, but what role is age going to play in the 2024 election? When we come forward more with today's trending news right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Ariva time is the right time. More of Ariva Martin in real time when we come forward. There's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and Gustavo Arellano is here. Chris Scott is here. And we're talking about today's trending news. And over the weekend, I was in D.C., uh, the White House Correspondents' Dinner was uh, all of the buzz. And in case you missed it, you can go online. You can find the 20-minute uh, clip or so of Roy Wood, who was the comedian MC, whose job it was to roast Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Some folks are giving him high remarks. Some are saying, mm, I've seen better. I frankly thought he did an outstanding job. Uh, and one of the issues that 
came up, which was predictable, was the age of Joe Biden. So lots of jokes about Joe Biden taking naps and, uh, you know, being uh, old. And we, we keep hearing that as Biden has announced his run to become, you know, president yet again in 2024. So I, I'm thinking, is this issue of age? It, it keeps coming up, not only with Joe Biden. I'm looking at the story, Dylan Brooks, who's a basketball player, NBA player with the Memphis Grizzlies, he called LeBron James old. And LeBron is 38. Joe Biden is like, I don't know, 82 or something. But Dylan Brooks called LeBron old, even though LeBron is playing, you know, at the highest level with guys who are younger than him. But Gustavo, what is this country's obsession with age? And I should just say, while NBC, you know, over the weekend, one of the big parties after the White House dinner was an event with Diana Ross, who is 79 and gave a one hour on her feet performance, giving the energy of a 30 year old uh, and saying proudly that she's, you know, on the verge of turning 80 years old. So clearly age for a lot of people is just a number, but we seem obsessed with age in this country. It's the United States and the United States has always <laughs> worshipped the young. I mean, we all because we still think of ourselves as a quote unquote young country. We're not the decrepit old the oldies of Europe or the rest of the world. And so because of that, we're always going to favor people who are young. But look, I mean, you talked about Diana. Of course, Diana's Diana. No one could reach her. But I saw James Brown maybe two years before he finally retired. And he was still doing it like a 40-some-year-old man. He wasn't James Brown of the, of at Live at the Apollo or even Papa's Got a Brand New Bag or Sex Machine, but he was still bringing it. So going back to Joe and going back to LeBron, LeBron's going to go until he thinks he can no longer give in. He's very honest with himself. Same thing as Joe. If Joe didn't think that he could run in 24 and still maintain the level of excellence, yes, I said it, excellence because I am a big Joe Biden fan. That doesn't mean he's perfect. If he didn't think he could give it his all, he wouldn't do it as well. And the fact that he's making fun of himself, that is true because he, if he was really sensitive about the issue, then I would be like, uh-oh, let's worry. But Roy roasted him very well. Joe roasted himself very well. And better yet, Joe roasted everyone else for obsessing about his age even better. Yeah, no, I, I thought he was excellent. You know, it's so funny, Chris. I, before I went to D.C., I was in Minneapolis and I was at a conference of public administrators, African-American public administrators from all over the country, a bunch of mayors from cities, you know, black, black mayors of different cities. And one of the mayors, actually St. Louis Mayor uh, Tashara Jones, first African-American uh, female mayor, St. Louis, my hometown, talked about how much money was flowing into cities and states because of the infrastructure bill. She, in fact, said it's like Halloween candy at Halloween. That's how much money these cities have. And she talked about St. Louis having like $500 million dollars more money because of infrastructure, because of Joe Biden and infrastructure, let me make it plain. But yet there are still people, big article in the New York Times today, well, there are people who like Joe, but still want an alternative. Someone saying he didn't get that student loan debt relief passed. I'm thinking, oh my God, the man did best he can is tied up in course. Why are Democrats I went home and like texted everybody I know. If you have a business, please 
make sure you know about all this infrastructure money. Yeah. Why is it that Democrats are still running around saying stupid stuff like Joe Biden hasn't done anything? When there is more, this, I mean, the mayors were like, we have not seen this much money from the federal government in years, decades, some ever, because they, they're just new to office. Why isn't that message resonating when people, when they say stupid stuff like Joe Biden hasn't done anything yet? Well, he hasn't done well, I mean, I, I think when it comes to Democrats, it's the problem we've been having for a while is that what we do get done, we do not message it very well a lot of times to the everyday person. And so it's not that we didn't get anything done, but the average person doesn't know what you got done or doesn't feel the impact of what you got done. And so I think that's where a lot of the frustration lies. Look, it's easy to uh, point at the student loan stuff, but hey, he did take the first step that nobody's ever attempted. And you can thank Republicans in a really biased Supreme Court for why that's halted right now. The thing is, Joe knows that he's going to get the jokes about his age. And I, I had this comment and uh, talk with The Guardian the other day in that people knew how old Joe Biden was the first time he uh, ran uh, in 2020. And so you shouldn't be surprised. I think it's more so, I think overall, Americans are ready to start seeing their presidents get younger. And so I think there's a little bit of anticipation on being anxious to turn the page because where you have Joe Biden, you also had a Pete Buttigieg uh, uh, in the race and you but, have but, his but, wait, but hold on a second, Chris. I'm glad you said that. And I'm glad you raised those names. Pete. Corey, comma, Gustavo, we could have had a young president. We didn't have to have Uncle Joe, Grandpa Joe. We could have had 38-year-old Pete. We could have had 50-year-old you know, year old Corey, 55-year-old Kamala. We had options. So they were, they were too young. <laughs> In the American <laughs> mind, the very people who say, we want young people, no. then they get scared, like the AOCs. Like the Pete's, like the young, uh, the half Cuban gentleman from Florida, the first Gen Maxwell Z. Frost. There yep. you go. Yeah, Maxwell Frost. Yeah, people see him and are like, oh my God, this is the future. Like the two Justins. People do not want young folks. So then they settle with what is in front well, of wait them. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So Corey and Kamala would definitely, they're not Pete. They're not the Justins. They're middle-aged people. So they, they seemingly fall right in that perfect category of middle age. Yeah, but Kamala, she's a black woman, so she was not going to win because this country, you know, misogynoir. Always, so we want always. you, we want you middle age, but white. Middle yep. age white man. Yeah, sadly. We, nobody was, oh, no, wait, there was someone that fit that, right? Uh, what was the guy from California? Wasn't he middle aged and white? The, the wealthy guy. Uh, uh, well, come on, Gustavo. Uh, ran for not president. Gavin Newsom, although no, he's. No, no, been... no, ran for president. Uh, uh, Tom Steyer? Steyer. Yeah, Steyer. He's a billionaire, and and, and a California <laughs> billionaires creep people out, like Elon Musk oh, and all the tech okay. bros. So something wrong with all these middle-aged <laughs> white people. Okay, we need to we need to take our medication in this country because <laughs> I don't know what's going. Reality on. check. Too old, too young. But you're right, Chris. That we knew how old Biden was, and we know we're not a one president country. Mm -hmm. uh, we know we are a two president country. You can't get enough done in one term. So even though Joe kind of talked about, do you think there are any issues? Because he kind of talked about being transitional. Now he says, 
well, I don't be transitional. I want to be transformative. Yeah. You think that's a problem? No, I think the big thing, I, I do like what he had in his rollout in saying, let's get the job done because you know, the reality is even if Joe Biden gets reelected without Congress, he's not going to be able to get the job done that he started. You're not going to see us be able to build on uh, build back better. And so uh, I do think that is a very strong narrative. The thing is, does he continue to lean in and say, look what we started? And if you give me four more years, look at what we can finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Gustavo, quickly, before we uh, uh, take some more uh, news, what's your thinking about that? Do you think that's a convincing message? Let me finish what I started. Kind of. As be, if if you agree with what he's doing, I do. <laughs> and if you are not freaked out by the possibility of Trump returning, if tr- I still think that Biden's best chance to lose if it's anyone other than Trump, because tr- he'll beat Trump. Trump is just too toxic. Mm. Yeah. When we come forward, I want to talk more about that White House Correspondents Dinner and some of the jokes that were made by Roy Wood, as well as some of the comments. Uh, made by Joe Biden. Then we're going to talk about the Met Gala that's happening tonight in New York City. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal in real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. The way we spend our time defines who we are. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. All right, Chris, what is your take on Roy Wood and his performance on Saturday night at that dinner? Uh, a lot of folks are talking about the the jokes. That really wasn't a joke, but his comments about Kamala Harris and coming to her defense and giving some perspective about, you know, people asking, what does the vice president do? Uh, how did you think that landed with the audience? And overall, how did you rate Roy? Overall, I thought Roy was great. I thought it was uh, refreshing. I think we need more of that at the correspondence dinner. I mean, you think about the Obama years, how a lot of those dinners went. It's supposed to be a little bit more lively. And then I do love uh, the defense of Kamala Harris. I think she has uh, gotten a lot more scrutiny uh, because people are asking, where is Kamala uh, in this uh Yeah, I think we're having some problems with Chris's term of body. Joe Biden. So I think I what I, I I hope we get to see her a little bit more uh, leading up into the election, and especially if he gets elected, see her in a more prominent role, uh, the way that he got to have with Obama in the first place. Yeah, Gustavo. Right after the big announcement, and uh, Julie Chavez Rodriguez was announced as the campaign chair, which I was so happy about. I'm sure you had a chance to interact with Julie when she was here working for Kamala in her Senate office. Uh, Maybe you've worked with her even when she was in the Obama administration. Very, very competent and I think just perfect for the job. But there were a bunch of articles that came out and some obviously were purposeful. It was a whole campaign around Biden's team pretty much acknowledging that they had not done enough to protect Kamala and her reputation and to help the American people understand what her role is, uh, acknowledging that as a result, she's taken a hit because her poll numbers, some of her poll numbers are worse than Biden's numbers, which you know aren't all that great uh, on any given day. But do you think that campaign to try to rehabilitate her, uh, her stature and to give 
a, a more of a sense that the Biden team is supportive. Do you think that's working? Because a lot of folks feel like Biden is just kind of, you know, threw her out there uh, without a life pres- a life jacket, like threw her in the ocean, like go, you know, uh, sink or swim on your own. He's going to need to have a strong vice president next to him, because if not, especially people who do support Kamala are going to be upset at him. And they will if they see him doing an affront to his vice president, a black woman, people will remember that and they won't be as motivated to go to the polls. Also, Kamala, look, people are counting Kamala out already. No way can she possibly succeed Biden. Maybe she won't even be the vice president. Well, Kamala has done an entire career of being underestimated by the media like ourselves, by, uh, you know, voters, by white people specifically, and beating those expectations again and again and again. But wait a minute. I, also, up, but wait, yeah. but hold on. I want to talk about, though, Biden. Do you think Biden's team in these first two years have done enough to support her, to fight back against all the racism and misogynistic, you know, attacks that she's been under? I don't think so. I also think it's part of the learning curve of being a vice president, a vice president, with the exception of Cheney, like, you know, because he was dark lord. Most vice presidents don't do much. So Kamala, he gave her a bag of garbage and said, all right, deal with it. And she's still here. And she's been she's done as good as she can. I think now Biden's like, all right, sorry, I had, you know, as old guy, sorry, I had to do this to you, kid. But now I'm with you. Let's go get him for the next uh, five years. But but I guess I'm still grappling, Chris. Why did he have to do that? I mean, I understand vice presidents don't do a lot. They they serve at the pleasure of the president. But, you know, it, it does feel like she was being undermined. Some of those stories talked about some of Biden's team who weren't you know, very receptive to her and have made it difficult for her. Yeah, I I think the hard part was that there was a lot of discussion when he first got in about him being a one-term president and her immediately seceding. So I think there was also a little bit trying to balance out, uh, all right, I need you, but also I can't put you too much where you're gathering too much attention. And so I think it took some time and I'm hoping they've caught their groove and their running step at this point. Do you think the campaign of articles that came out after the announcement, you know, do you think they set the right tone? Do you think they resonated? I mean, there was a slew of articles from like Ron Klain and different other former White House administrators saying she's really our girl. We love her. She's on the team. But, you know, they were like cheerleaders uh, for her in a way that we hadn't seen before. Yeah, I think it's a good start. Uh, I think people still, especially the American voters and Kamala does have a very huge following. They're still going to want to see more. It's a start. But let's see you start actually utilizing uh, her more heading into this 24 cycle. What does that look like, Gustavo? You know, we know what Biden, he had a big portfolio uh, under uh, Obama. Like, what do you think the perfect portfolio? Is it the abortion issue? Is it voting right? I mean, we know she had immigration, which is just a loser for anybody. Yeah. Uh, but what do you think the right portfolio is? I don't know if abortion is the right issue either, because uh, that's that's probably tough, too. It's tough, but that's the vote that is getting people out to the ballots, you know, stopping abortion bans. What was it in Wisconsin, all in the Midwest, states in the Midwest, Nebraska, I believe. So I think Kamala is at her best when it is about issues 
on the domestic front because she knows that she was an attorney general in California. She was a, uh, the district attorney in San Francisco. She was a senator. She knows, especially when it comes to working people and people of color. So expect to see her on the campaign trail all across the United States more so than now. You know, she's got to still have her foreign things. But I think if Joe keeps her here, that's Kamala's strength. So play up to her strengths. And yeah, I mean, if she if they continue on that groove, they're going to be unstoppable. Yeah, so what does that say, uh, Chris, for Gavin Newsom? He was on a, <laughs> he just sent out a email. He was on some show on MSNBC talking about how he's confronting DeSantis. And, you know, he's really in this personal battle, seems like, with Ron DeSantis and trying to prove that he can out DeSantis. DeSantis, I don't know what, what he's doing, but obviously uh, there's really, no job available in 2024. Yeah, I really feel like he's positioning himself uh, for 28 uh, to be an alternative uh, to uh, Vice President Harris if she does uh, run. And, you know, the thing is that type of posture in four years uh, early, people have a very short term memory. They're not going to uh, remember that. And it's not really going to be relevant at that time. So right now, again, I think it's for his own uh, ego uh, and posturing, but it's not going to be relevant. Yeah, Gustavo, he's going to have a two-year gap where he's not in office. Nobody's going to remember this. DeSantis is going to term out, thank God. They have two two-term <laughs> limits like we have in California. So if he doesn't become president, even if they change the law, we can keep his job. If they don't change the law, he would be out of that Florida's governorship. But even if they do change it, he's going to be out. So what? what is two questions for you, Gustavo? What happens in those two years? And then what is Gavin going to do with Diane Feinstein? Because there was another big article, maybe in your paper, about mm -hmm. can this black woman that he's promised to appoint be a caretaker or can it be someone like Barbara Lee who's running full stop for the job? Yeah, the number one, Gavin is going to write a book. It's going to be a bestseller. And he's going to tour the country for two years until he finally announces, talking about the California way. That's the easy one. Number two, Gavin, if... At the end of everything, it's Diane Feinstein's choice if she should step down. But if she were to step down, then Gavin should keep his promise and Gavin should totally pick Barbara Lee, who, full disclosure, did a fundraiser at my wife's restaurant in Orange County. And it was awesome. She was awesome. She was prophetic in opposing the Iraq, the Iraq war. So put her in. And people say, oh, that's unfair. It's run, you know, front, front runner. Well, look, Taryn Bass, she's not going to be senator because she has a job to do in Los Angeles. Shirley no, Weber's good, too. Yeah. yeah, Gustavo, I was about to say, talk, I was in Sacramento recently, the talk in SAC is it's Shirley Weber yeah. who is the front runner. Have you heard that? Yeah, I can see that, but Bar I don't know. I, I'm more for Barbara than I am for Shirley, and nothing against Shirley, but regardless, it should be, Gavin should keep to his promise. If he were to break it, he knows that would destroy his career, Like, because it is so hypocritical to try to put on the cloak of blackness for a little bit and then say, no, not anymore. It'd be preposterous. Yeah, let's hope he does keep that promise. What do you think, Chris, real quickly? Uh, you think a governor that makes that promise, does he appoint a caretaker who won't run? Or does he give the job to someone like Barbara Lee, Congresswoman Lee, who is running? Look, I think it's time for uh, Congresswoman uh, Lee. I'm a huge uh, fan of her. Obviously, the voters will decide. But let's keep in mind, we don't have a Black woman in the Senate and one that can actually be effective on day one because she already knows uh, a lot of how Congress works, it would be a right. powerful thing and look really good for him 
if he is looking at that run in 28. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Barbara Lee uh, seems to be the, the congresswoman of choice. We don't know what will happen with Feinstein. I do hope, though, Gustavo, that Feinstein takes into consideration the gridlock she's creating on that judicial committee, those nominations and the oversight of the Supreme Court. So there's a lot that's riding on her staying in office if she cannot make it to the Senate to vote. So our prayers are with her that she recovers. But boy, she's got to make a decision because we cannot allow us not to take advantage of Biden in those judicial nominations in particular. Thanks, Gustavo. Thank you, Chris. Always a pleasure, my friends, to have both of you. Uh, Gustavo Arellano, LA Times columnist. Chris Scott is a Democratic strategist. Brilliant minds helping us break down today's news. When we come forward, it's all about Donald Trump and his latest legal jeopardy. Uh, His lawyers say he should get a mistrial. This is the E. Jean Carroll defamation and sexual assault case. One of the nation's leading civil rights attorney will be here to help us break it all down. When we come forward, KBLA Talk 1580. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica. Point favorite over the Lakers in game one of the Western Conference semifinals. Game one is Tuesday night in San Francisco, 7 p.m. tip on TNT. The NBA fined Memphis guard Dylan Brooks $25,000 for not making himself available to the media after the three games in L.A. Dylan did talk to Memphis reporters on Sunday and said he had no regrets for calling LeBron old. Dylan is an unrestricted free agent this summer. Memphis GM Zach Kleeman declined to say if he wants Dylan back. Kleeman said the franchise will be taking a different approach next season. Final thought on the NFL draft, and it's not good. Only one player from an HBCU school was selected in the seven-round draft. Draft. Jackson State cornerback Isaiah Bolden was taken by New England in the seventh round. No debates, no speculation, just the info you need. That's your KBLA Sports Minute. I'm Ray Richardson. More news, opinions, and conversations when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. We begin top story with late breaking news. Is it going to succeed, yes or no? I think it's going to succeed. It's going to succeed. KBLA Talk 1580 is about to celebrate its second anniversary on Juneteenth and no terrible twos around here. We couldn't be more excited about all the good news we'll be announcing soon, including the launch of some new shows to keep giving you more of what you've been looking for. Come on! Smart radio for smart people. Hey, it's our celebration, but you get all the gifts. We'll be giving away fresh merch, swag bags, and a chance for you to join the private invitation only star-studded music and dance till you drop food and drink galore second anniversary celebration. To stay in the know about the second anniversary details, download the KBLA Talk 1580 app right now. Don't miss out on your chance to be a winner at KBLA Talk 1580. When we come forward, we're bringing everybody with us. Happy anniversary, KBLA! First Republic is no more. Regulators seized the embattled lender overnight and sold it to J.P. Morgan Chase. What is now America's second biggest bank failure after the 2008 collapse of Washington Mutual means that 84 bank branches that closed as First Republic locations on Friday reopened today as J.P. Morgan Chase branches. Hundreds of Texas officers are looking for the gunman accused of killing five people after a dispute between neighbors. The suspect went on a rampage with an AR-15 style rifle Friday at his neighbor's home after being asked to stop shooting in his yard while their baby slept. The youngest killed was a nine-year-old boy. There were 10 people, all family, inside the home, and luckily five survived. It's the latest in a series of recent retaliatory shootings. 
Yesterday, Senator Tim Scott, a Republican from South Carolina, said he will make a major announcement in Charleston on May 22nd, weeks after he launched an exploratory committee for a presidential bid. Scott, the first Black senator from South Carolina and the only Black Republican senator, could become the second GOP candidate from the state in the 2024 race. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley announced her candidacy last month. A state representative in Montana asked a court on Monday to allow her to return to the House floor for the rest of the state's legislative session, arguing that her First Amendment rights had been violated after an escalating standoff over her remarks on transgender issues. Representative Zoe Zephyr, a Democrat from Montana, was barred last week from participating in deliberations in the House chamber after she made impassioned comments in opposition to a ban on hormone treatments and surgical care for transgender minors. The bill, which passed, has since been signed by the governor. The Met Gala, the fashion world's annual extravaganza, is happening tonight. A star-studded event in New York that raises money for the Metropolitan Museum of Arts Costume Institute. It's organized each year by Vogue Editor-in-Chief Anna Wintour. And this year's theme is not based on a concept, but rather an individual. That's designer Carl Lagerfeld, who died in 2019, but who is remembered and well-known for transforming Chanel. Comedian and Daily Show correspondent Roy Wood hosted Saturday night's White House Correspondent Dinner, but Roy wasn't the only one with jokes. Joe Biden took to the mic with his own brand of humor and landed this one. This is what the president had to say. It's great. The cable news networks are here tonight. MSNBC, owned by NBC Universal. Fox News, owned by Dominion Voting Systems. The president got a big chuckle and laugh from the audience. Then he went on to say, last year, your favorite Fox News reporters were able to attend because they were fully vaccinated and boosted. This year, with that $787 million settlement, they're here because they couldn't say no to a free meal. Yes, Joe Biden has jokes. This is Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one-stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. This is the second hour, and we're talking all about, you guessed it, former President Donald Trump and his latest legal trial that's happening in a federal court in Manhattan. This is a civil trial, not a criminal trial. So no matter what happens, you will not see Donald Trump in an orange jumpsuit. But if the plaintiff in this case, E. Jean Carroll, is successful, you may see the president hit with a large monetary uh, damage award. E. Jean Carroll is, uh, has sued Donald Trump for defamation and sexual assault that she says occurred almost 30 years ago, in a department store, this famous department store in New York called Berghoff Goodman, uh, that he, she said, Donald Trump basically forced her into a dressing room, pushed her up against a wall, and raped her in this dressing room. She didn't come forward for years, although she said she did tell two of her girlfriends at the time. They, too, are expected to take the witness stand. Uh, e. Jean Carroll has been subjected to vile criticism online. She says every morning she wakes up, looks at her Twitter feed, looks at her social media, and the, the negative and hateful comments are plentiful. And also inside that courtroom, Donald Trump's lawyer 
went after her pretty aggressively in his cross-examination, challenging her credibility, suggesting that she filed this lawsuit for fame, for fortune, and for money. And most importantly, just to sell books. Uh, when we come forward, I have one of the nation's leading civil rights attorneys. Uh, she has represented women in sexual assault, sexual molestation cases for over 40 years. Uh, most famously, she has represented uh, Gretchen Carlson, who was an anchor at Fox. She's represented lots of women at Fox. We know of all the women who come forward alleging sexual harassment uh, at the Fox uh, network. I'm so excited. She's just a fantastic lawyer, incredible advocate for women. And I'm just so happy that she'll be joining me. Her name is Nancy Erica Smith. And when we come forward, she's going to help us break down what's happening in the case of E. Jean Carroll and what's up with this motion for a mistrial. Is this just Donald Trump's way to delay these proceedings? Or is there some real teeth to his allegation that the judge is treating him unfairly? When we come forward, KBLA Talk 15. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. There's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm joined in this hour by Nancy Erica Smith. She is a civil rights attorney in New York City. She has represented women uh, for over four decades in lawsuits, civil lawsuits involving sexual harassment, uh, sexual assault, and cases very similar to the case that E. Jean Carroll has filed against Donald Trump. And Nancy is here to help us make sense of what's happening in this case, particularly given this new motion for a mistrial filed by Donald Trump's legal team. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you so have seen it all. Oh, thank you. You've seen it all. You've seen every, uh, you know, trick in the book. What do you make of this motion for a mistrial and the allegations by Trump's team that somehow the judge is treating him unfairly? Well, you know, Donald Trump and his team are a one note song. Bully everybody. Bully the victim. Try to bully the judge. Try to bully the media. That's really the only no, they know. They only know intimidation and bullying. Luckily, I don't think this judge, Judge Kaplan, is going to be intimidated or bullied. But I think that's the role. And and also trying to set up an appeal, which also is downright silly. The appeals on an, a, a biased judge are almost never granted, and they almost never succeed. And and the rulings in this case are not out of bounds. Uh, they're, they're not at all out of bounds. He's only allowing two other victims of Donald Trump to testify because they had experienced a similar kind of attack as E. Jean Carroll. He's uh, he's allowed in the Access Hollywood tape, which is going to be great. I can't wait. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just more bullying. What do you do when you're losing? You try to stop the trial. <laughs> no, that, that's an excellent point. But this is a step back because a lot of people, I heard some people talking about this actually on an airplane. I was flying uh, over the weekend and someone was saying, oh, my God, why would she file this lawsuit 30 years later? Why didn't she do this, you know, when it happened? Help us understand why, you know, women and maybe even some of your clients file these kinds of lawsuits, sexual harassment, sexual assault, 
years, in this case, a couple of decades after the incident has occurred? Well, um, this this case and the way she is being treated by Trump's lawyer is a primer on why why women don't report rape. <laughs> I mean, our society has so recognized that women are abused by every system, by the healthcare system, and by the law enforcement community, when the, and by their families, and by their friends, and by their neighbors, when they accuse somebody of rape. Often it's somebody they know. That's the most frequent kind of rape. Rape is the most unreported crime in the world. And it's because of the way women are treated. It's fairly recent, and it's not in every country in the world, that a husband was allowed to rape his wife. It wasn't illegal. So, I mean, we're plowing through centuries of misogyny and sexism to get here. But I saw an article in the New York Times today about a a veteran of World War II who won a Purple Heart and many medals. And he was almost 100 years old before he would talk about the war. He just started telling his family and friends what happened in the war. And we all know this. This is a very frequent story that veterans of any war, all our wars, even our most recent incursions into Iraq and everywhere else where we create havoc and create violence, um, they, they, we, these veterans very frequently come home and refuse to talk about it. It's one way to deal with trauma. And they are lauded for their service. Can right. you imagine what it's like to be a woman and you're raped and it's somebody you know? And she describes all the feelings women usually have. Blame ourselves. Feel ashamed. Feel afraid. Now, after five years, she couldn't have sued because it was a five-year statute of limitation. So when people say, you know, she sat around for 30 years, not really. She didn't want to do anything for five years, and Me Too hadn't happened. And the other thing that happened is New York changed its law in 2022 and allowed because it recognized, the state of New York recognized that women have been mistreated by the law enforcement community, by the judiciary, by the medical establishment, and said, you can come forward now. And, and E. Jean Carroll described that trial, I think, very well, um, that Me Too affected her. That, uh, you know, Gretchen Carlson uh, was the first person because many women came out and said, Roger Ailes, they broke NDAs and bravely came forward. 24 of them, Roger Ailes abused Me Too. Then we had the Cosby revelations, and then we had Weinstein. And yeah, I'm so glad you brought that. I just just want to know the part about the veteran. Such an important point, because there are so many traumatic experiences that people have that they bury deep in the recesses of their brains that they don't talk about family trauma, and they're never criticized for it, and they're not rarely disbelieved. We saw that happen early on in the cases involving the, the boys who were molested by priests. But over time, people started to realize, no, these these things really did happen. These little boys were really raped and abused by priests. But it, it, it's something about when a woman comes forward, as you said, to tell a story about being raped, now all of a sudden there's this big credibility issue, right? Oh my God, this can't be true because if it's true, she would have talked about it that night. She would have ran to a police department. She would have had a rape kit you know, completed, she would have filed a report. But we don't say to the 100-year-old veteran, 
right. you know, the day he experienced that trauma from being in the war, that he would have ran to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. He would have gotten mental health treatment. He would have done, you know, this laundry list of things that we believe you should do when you experience trauma. So it isn't this unique and it's important. I think I just want to highlight that women, and in particular, if you add on the top of that, women of color uh, often are held to such a different standard uh, when it comes to these kinds of, of allegations. And uh, I don't, I don't think we can say that enough. And the, the kind of cross examination. Let's talk about that in this trial. Are you surprised? I, I know Joe. <laughs> you know Joe. I'm sure you know Joe Tacchino. Uh, no, he's a he's a New Yorker, right? So you know, in some ways, that's his personality. You know, he's he's kind of a tough guy, lawyer. You know, but he's a nice guy. I like him. Uh, but he's going after Eugene Carroll in a way I'm a little surprised by. I've been I, one day I thought of to text him. I said, No, I'll leave him alone. He's in trial. I'll hit him up after the trial is over. But there seemed to have been like a turn with these big cases you're talking about, Cosby and Weinstein, some of these other high profile cases where people understood that being that aggressive towards your victim in a trial, which was commonplace before these big cases, that that wasn't cool anymore, that jurors were turned off by that. So are you kind of surprised by Joe's aggressive nature and going after Eugene Carroll? Why didn't you scream? And, you know, all these like... I'm I'm really not because he represents Donald Trump. (laughs) I'm really not. Donald Trump knows one way of being with women and it's abusive across the board. He's abusive. He says to this day, one of his one of his social media posts was the idea that I would take an almost 60 year old woman is absurd. She was 52. His current wife is 53. He's 76, she's 79, but his whole thinking about women is so Neanderthal, so sexist, so misogynist that he thinks it's cool to to say something like that. And he's speaking to people who want to hear that kind of retro, sexist, racist, that's what they want to hear. So yeah, I'm not surprised that Joe is taking Donald Trump's lead in being abusive to a victim of rape. And he's it's a fine line, too, because on some level, he's going after you weren't really damaged. And on the other hand, he's saying it didn't happen. So he's got a difficult road to hoe. Well, yeah, you raise a good point. I've, you're not going to be Donald Trump's lawyer unless you behave in that fashion. I mean, that, that that's like, you know, right? mandatory to get hired by him. You have to have that persona, that really tough, aggressive, persona to even be his lawyer because he demands that out of the folks that represent him. But I, I was a little surprised by it because we've seen, I mean, that didn't work out too well for some of these other guys who have been at trial. So, you know, you, that's kind of the definition of, you know, insanity is to keep doing the same thing the same way, expecting a different result. But let's talk about legally. What do you think is the hardest part of this case? E. Jean Carroll can't give the exact day You know, she can't pin down that detail, although she has lots of other, you know, really vivid details about being on the elevator, the lingerie section of the department store, going into the dressing room. But what do you make of her not being able to pin down the exact day? Uh, Do you think that's going to hurt her case with jurors? You know, I I have had so many clients that remember the trauma very specifically 
and don't remember the other things. And I think it's I, I, when I have that problem in front of a jury, I often say, when you drove here today, how many red lights did you pass? Um, how many people did you walk in the elevator with today? I mean, things that happen that are not in your mind don't stick in your mind. Can you imagine your rape that day? What are you remembering about that day? She remembers the rape very, very clearly and the details. But then she really was very honest about trying to forget it. Really trying to, as we as women, particularly women of color, we're told, you know, suck it up, be tough, get over it, don't whine. And she's a public person. So she feels the need to be positive. It's her persona. She's a little bit quirky. I have to say that. I like that. But she is a little quirky. And and she's being who she is. And she's owning those things. I was really happy to see them open her direct on those things that, you know, as a lawyer, you know, I think you own your weaknesses. So the idea that she doesn't remember exactly the date and, and, but she has two fresh complaint witnesses who are going to testify. And I mean, fresh complaint that, that day, right after it happened. So I think, I hope those are good witnesses. We'll see. It's not easy to remember something that happened in 1995. Not for me anyway. Yeah, no, it, you're right. I think they did do a good job of her owning uh, what some may see as weaknesses in her case and her not trying to embellish beyond that which she did remember. The facts that she did remember, she was you know, very clear. And she pushed back. I mean, what did you think of, of the way she pushed back on the cross-examination about like the screaming? And, and he would say, Alleg- allegedly you were raped. And she would correct him and say, no, I was raped. Do you think that helps in a case like that again when you are the plaintiff, you know, the, the all eyes on you in terms of that jury? How do they see that? How do they perceive that as a general rule when a plaintiff is, you know, pushing back versus kind of being a, a shrinking violet? Someone, I mean, she did weep, I guess, during some of her testimony, but she was not just sitting there weeping the entire time. I thought she was a really good witness. Uh, I was. I like my witness to be very firm in what they know and what they don't know. If you don't know, say you don't know. If if it's a weakness, own it and say why. But I love that she would push back at him and say, you know, you're going to yell at me for not for not screaming. I mean, any woman knows that what happens next. You're shocked that somebody you know is raping you. What happens next? Is his hands go around your throat? I mean, we live in a different world than men live in. We live in a world where we're constantly having to evaluate whether we are going to experience violence or sexual violence or both. Mm -hmm. So the idea, you you know, in the old days, I'm sure you know, uh, it wasn't rape unless the woman issued a hue and a cry. You couldn't even allege it was rape if you couldn't prove that you screamed and tried to stop it, right? So you're, you know, she's, she's a, thin, small woman, right? And so, and you didn't make enough noise when you were being raped and you didn't see anybody around. It's an absurd statement. It's so rooted in the misogyny that we still live with. But I like that she stood up for herself. I like that she takes him on. I, I think she's doing a really good job. And when I really liked the statement she made when he said, why come, you know, why come forward now? Um, and she said, I was sick of staying silent. And I think that women all over the world, we've seen it, are sick of staying silent. We're sick of being silenced. 
Yeah, you know, obviously that screen comment is right out of that playbook, you know, 20 years ago. Yes, if you were raped, there were, again, boxes you had to check to prove that you were raped and screaming, you know, it's like box, you know, letter A. And if you don't scream, oh my God, either you're enjoying it, right? Or Mm -hmm. you're consenting to it or it's not happening at all because any respectable woman that's being raped would be right. so outraged that she would be screaming at the top of her lungs. And then right. the store attendants would run in and, you know, there's this, this fairy book, you know, yeah. narrative about what rape looks like and what a woman should do. And, and that's why I think these trials are so important because it is giving the American people an opportunity, even though there are no cameras in this courtroom to really see how far we have come, but how far we need to go because yeah. we've made so much progress. And, you know, I haven't been doing this as long as you have, but I've been doing it long enough to know that there's a real difference, a real sea change that has happened. But these kinds of questions in this case show how much further we need to go. When we come forward, we're going to talk about the two uh, recipient witnesses, this juror that has six men and three women, and this book that E. Jean Carroll wrote and has to deal with in terms of the allegations that she is coming forward because it was all a part of her plan to sell more books. Uh, stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. Ariva time is the right time. More of Ariva Martin in real time when we come forward. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm back and I'm joined by Nancy Erica Smith. She is a civil rights attorney and litigator who has been representing women in sexual harassment, sexual assault cases for over four decades. She Represented Gretchen Carlson in her lawsuit against Fox and Roger Ailes, and has represented uh, just a you know number of women who have filed sexual harassment and assault cases. We are talking about the E. Jean Carroll sexual assault and defamation case against Donald Trump, which is moving forward in a Manhattan federal courthouse. It's a civil case again, so what's at stake are money damages, not a criminal conviction or jail time. But this is a significant case. This is the first time in the history of this country where a former president who is running for president has to stand trial and face allegations that he raped a woman in a department store. And as we were discussing, Nancy, this trial, we're not only going to hear from uh, E. Jean Carroll and her account of the rape, but the judge has said two other victims that had similar experiences with Donald Trump will be allowed to testify and that Access Hollywood tape, which was uh, revealed to the world just uh, weeks before the 2016 presidential election where we heard Donald Trump using that very offensive language about a woman, that will also be played. So talk to us some, Nancy, about who these two other women are that will be allowed to testify? What are they likely to say and the impact of their testimony on this jury? Well, uh, one woman is a uh, was a People reporter, People magazine reporter, who went down to Mar-a-Lago to actually do a puff piece about Melania Trump. And she was taken into a room by him and he attempted to force, he did forcibly kiss her and try to fondle her and she pushed him away. And the second happened to sit next to him many years ago uh, on an airplane. And he attempted to kiss her, fondled her breasts, and tried to put his hand up her skirt. 
Um, there are many, many other women who accuse Donald Trump of sexual assault. Many. I think we're, we're in the 50s. But the, these are the two that the judge said are the most similar to what happened to E. Jean Carroll in that they uh, barely knew him. And he used a similar tactic of scaring them, you know, really, uh, they weren't out having drinks at a bar type thing. It was very sudden. And it was very similar type of uh, attack. I think that he's in trouble in light of, you know, they're not writing a book. Uh, They're not uh, running for anything. They're not even public people, really. And their willingness to come forward, I think, is very, very powerful. Uh, at the Access Hollywood tape um, is pretty outrageous because he admits doing what he did. <laughs> he admits when you're a star, they let you do it. And then he describes sexually assaulting women in the most crude terms you can because he's an incredibly crude misogynist. So I think it's going to be very powerful. I think it also might be quite powerful. What's supposed to happen tomorrow are the fresh complaint witnesses. Um, one Told her to Before go to- we get to that, Nancy, I want to ask you about the Access Hollywood. We'll get to those fresh complaint witnesses. But why do you think the judge let the Access Hollywood tape in? Well, I mean, how often do you have somebody admit to the modus operandi? I think it goes like into the the cases where you allow um, the same, you've used the same behavior in the past to con- commit the same kind of crime. I think that's the only reason he let it in is now you have somebody famously admitting to the very crime he's accused of committing. And I mean, right. civil crime. Right. Uh, um, so I, I, I think that's why it's let in and it's going to be very powerful. I think it's also interesting that it's very unlikely that he will subject himself to cross-examination. And yeah, he hasn't shown up yet to the courthouse. And I know the judge was pressing the attorney on whether he was going to show up. What did the attorney ultimately say? I don't think he's ultimately given an answer yet. Every day the judge asks him because they want to make sure that security is ready. And mm-hmm. he keeps saying, you know, I don't know. He's still putting him off. There's still no say, no firm answer to the question, is Donald Trump going to testify? I don't know whether so, that's a PR tactic or what, because I don't think there's a chance in hell. Do you? Can he? Oh, no, I can't right. imagine him. He's not going to even show up because last right. time he was in New York, he got booed. You know, mm-hmm. the city that used to love Donald Trump now pretty much hates him. So I don't even see him showing up in the city. But what do you make? We're going to talk about those complaint witnesses. But have you had a case? You know, can he defend himself? Basically, he's going to I assume he has some witnesses. I'm not sure who's on his witness list. But it seems like a big part of his defense is tear down the credibility of the plaintiff and the plaintiff's witnesses, because you're not going to have him there with the counter narrative saying, yes, I was either in that department store that day and it didn't happen, or I wasn't even in that department store. I was, you know, across the country in California on the day or this month or this year, whenever this might've happened. That's kind of a risky strategy uh, for a defendant uh, to not get up and say into the eyes of those jurors, I didn't do this. This didn't happen. So what do you make of this defense, which is basically, you know, prove your case by tearing down the plaintiffs? Right. I I, I, I wouldn't want to be Joe Takapina. <laughs> I don't think that this is a winning strategy, but it's all he has because mm-hmm. and he's got to tear down not just E. Jean Carroll. He's got to tear down two other victims of, of sexual assault by Donald Trump and two 
just friends of E. Jean Carroll's who she told about it at the time. Well, let's um, talk about those witnesses. So there are two yeah. women who are going to come forward. You yes. think that's going to happen tomorrow, Tuesday. Yes. And these are, they're not percipient witnesses. That word typically means, you know, I was there, I saw it when it happened. But they are fact witnesses because she told them immediately after it happened. What, do you, what are we expecting from their testimony? Well, I, you know, I think fresh complaint witnesses are very important in rape cases because when women are afraid to come forward for all the reasons you and I have discussed, it it helps that you have somebody who has no stake in the game to come forward and say, she told me I've used that many times uh, as an important way to say, you know, here's some more evidence that this is what happened. Because usually during a sexual assault, there are just two people around. Right. So um, I, 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 the interesting thing that I want to see is how Ms. Martin testifies. Ms. Birnbaum told uh, e. Jean Carroll to go to the police. And Ms. Martin said, are you kidding? He's Donald Trump. He'll destroy mm. you. Um, I, I think that it's probably fair to say she regrets that advice. <laughs> but we'll mm. see. We'll see. Um, I think that it's it's going to be also, I mean, I think uh, Trump's lawyer, again, is in the unfortunate position of having to beat up on these women. And they aren't writing books like the two victims, the other victims. They have no stake in this. I mean, he's going to say there he she's your friend. Does that mean you'll go into federal court or agree to under the penalty of perjury to lie because she's your friend? I, I doubt it. I don't think that's going to fly. But what else can they do? Because Donald Trump can never in his life get on a witness stand and subject himself to cross-examination. Not only is he a pathological liar, he can't formulate normal sentences. He can't. Well, they're going to show, though, we know, Nancy, that he was opposed. Yes. And we know that Joe has told the court he plans to use portions of his deposition. So I guess there is going to be some deposition testimony read yes. to the jurors where Trump was asked under oath if he did it or what happened. And I'm presuming, he, you know, he said in the deposition, no, I didn't do it. We know he said some other ridiculous things during that deposition. But how powerful or, you know, how persuasive do you think deposition testimony read in a trial like this will be? I, I don't think it's going to be that persuasive because this jury has seen cross-examination that was extremely aggressive and they're not stupid. My, I, I have great faith in democracy because I have tried jury trials for 40 years. And I, I really think that one thing we have in common is that everybody hates liars. <laughs> People don't mm. like being lied to. It feels mm. insulting. So no matter what you think going into a courtroom about the world and Donald Trump, if somebody stands up, looks you in the eyes and lies to you, most people don't like that. So I, I, I don't think it's playing. I think they'll play the video. And then their only witness, as I understand it, is the psychiatrist who's going to either say she's crazy or she's narcissistic or, you know, I don't know what the psychiatrist can possibly say. She's never got treatment. She did testify to that today. She hasn't been to therapists. Um, again, I'm, I'm 68, so I'm not that far away, but 79 is pushing the age where people didn't go to therapy. It wasn't mm. as common. Uh, we didn't 
think of mental health, again, you were supposed to be ashamed if you were traumatized, if you were depressed, if you had anxiety. You were supposed to be tough and tough it out and not whine and certainly don't admit to having any kind of mental illness. So it'll be interesting to see what that therapist is going to say. I'm sure she's had the MMPI. You know what they do. (laughs) Right. When we come forward, I want to talk about these six men on the jury. Uh, What impact do you think they will have? And this book and how jurors may see someone who's written a book and who's been publicly uh, speaking out against their uh, accuser or accused, I should say, in this case, the accused and the defendant. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. There's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. All right. Uh, we are back with Nancy Erica Smith. We're talking about this E. Jean Carroll trial. It's uh, well underway and we're expecting two witnesses to testify tomorrow who actually uh, E. Jean Carroll talked to right after the rape happened 30 years ago. They're going to have some powerful testimony. But Nancy, I want to ask you about this jury pool. I was a little, ugh, got a little nervous when I saw that it has six men and three women. And we know in a federal civil trial, they've got to have a unanimous you know, outcome in order for there to be liability imposed on Donald Trump. What do you make of this jury with six men on it? Uh, I was a little nervous when I saw six men and three women. I got to say, it makes me a little nervous. Uh, It may put some pressure on the men. On the other hand, you know, I've had juries where the women are just as sexist as the men. I mean, we're dealing with a culture. The culture is sexist. And just because we're women, we're not always immune from the misogyny of our culture. We all have been indoctrinated with it. You're right. So we should not assume just because they're women. So thank you for that point. Uh, yeah. So that, that, you know, the jury has to understand, do you, is she going to put on any kind of a, uh, expert psychiatrist or psychologist to talk about this trauma and how often women don't report it right away? Is the judge going to let her do that? Do you know? I think she is going to do that. And I think that's why they get their psychiatrist. Okay. Um, okay. so I, I think she has the two fresh complaint witnesses, the two other victims, and a psychological expert. And then I think they're going to show video of Trump's uh, deposition. And hopefully, you know what that fight will be. E. Jean Carroll's lawyers will say, you have to have the whole context, which will be a riot because Trump can't answer direct questions. It's going to be madness when they fight over what the completeness doctrine of you can't just show a snippet of a deposition, you have to put it in context. Um, And then I think they're a psychological expert. And I think that's it. So we could be over this Friday. Oh, yeah, I think we could be because he doesn't have any witnesses except the the expert. That witness, I think, to me, is as important as these fact witnesses, because I still think so many people, because the the people I overheard on the plane, these are women. They're women as well as men who still don't believe women when they come forward if there's been a lapse in time, if it didn't, the reporting didn't occur right away. So I, I think that psychological expert is going to be so important in helping both the six men and the three women on this jury understand that, like you said, first of all, it wasn't 30 years. It was five because after that, there was no coming forward until this law got changed. Uh, but that even that five year period 
And, and I hope people think back to Donald Trump. That's what I, I'd remind people. Donald Trump was bigger than life even before he became president. And one of the things his lawyer tried to say, well, you know, you said you were afraid of Donald Trump back then, but now, you know, he's the president or when you made your complaint, he was president. He was even more powerful. But I, I don't think that underscores the bigger than life image that Donald Trump has had since he kind of burst into the scene. And I didn't even live in New York at the time. Uh, but even folks across the country, you know, his name rings so large and so looms so large that I could see where it would have been intimidating to try to take on someone like that. I mean, he was so good at manipulating the media. I mean, this all didn't happen in 2016. He was doing this for years. Ask uh, the Central Park Five. Yes, absolutely. Full I mean, page ad, powerful. Like, kill him. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. very powerful. So yeah. I hope that jury can really, uh, I hope they take in what that psychological expert talks, uh, you know, testifies to. But let's talk about the book. So the premise of Donald Trump's defense is this lady is a gold digger. She's here today, not because she was raped. She's here because she loves attention. She's here because she's trying to capitalize on this alleged rape to, you know, thrust herself into the limelight, to make money, to sell books, uh, and to, you know, have a payday. Now, that can be a very powerful defense because a lot of people, again, think that women, you know, are quote unquote gold diggers. We have that, uh, you know, that term oftentimes is used with women. And a lot of people buy into that. How do they combat that? Well, any woman who writes about experiences where she's abused is uh, then turned into a gold digger. If we describe the abuse women uh, take, then that must be because we're gold diggers. I mean, what are you talking about? Uh, men write memoirs about trauma all the time. Uh, it, uh, is it only women who aren't allowed to describe what happened to us in our lives? And I think she really credibly did key it into a movement around the world to stop silencing women. I really do love the statement that she said, I was sick of staying silent. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's her answer. She didn't make a ton of money on the book, by the way. And it's her experience. She decided to own it. And she decided to own it at 76 years old. I, I think she's incredibly brave. Mm -hmm. I really admire her willingness to go through the kind of abuse she has taken for the past week and, and longer on social media because the Trump cult is vicious and misogynist oh, God, and yeah. hateful and violent. Um, and she's really brave. And she owns sort of her quirkiness and she owns the things that people are going to say about waiting. And you wrote a book and you talked about it and you talked to friends and you have friends who don't like Trump. I mean, so what? So what? You know, is he going to get on the witness stand in front of this jury and be cross-examined? I don't think so. Yeah, no, uh, doesn't look like it. I by now, we would have heard something from his attorney. Let's talk saying. about the broader Me Too movement. So where do you think the movement is today? And where does a case like this fit into what we've seen over the last, say, five years or so with respect to women coming forward, uh, being uh, you know, unafraid to tell their stories? I think we're seeing an incredible backlash. It's unbelievable, Ooh. the backlash. If you had told me that, that we'd be threatened around the country with criminal 
violations if you try to get health care that you're entitled to, or if you try to use a pill that the FDA approved 20 years ago. I mean, the backlash. There's a state that recently introduced a law that you have to take your husband's last name. I mean, I think women. What is that? I, I just saw that as I was coming on today, Ariva. I'll send it uh, to we'll, you. We'll find that. We'll find it. Yeah. We don't travel to that state. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the backlash of women standing up to powerful interests, to the media being called out for their complicity in the Weinstein cases and the Ailes case and the Cosby case really showed that, that the media was like, oh, we don't talk about that. We, we protect the men. Who, who are abusive and and the names it's it's endless Matt Lauer let Le, moonbees I mean it is an endless stream of powerful men who have abused women for 20 30 40 50 years in Roger Ailes's case so I think that we're experiencing an incredible backlash against us as women and we're gonna have to stop being silent and just keep fighting and there are so many brave women doing it are, are you seeing in your own practice, it, it seemed like there was this moment, you know, when Me Too was really blowing up where women were coming forward. I, I had people calling my office left and right, you know, uh, who were willing now to come forward and talk about sexual harassment, sexual harassment the way they hadn't been. But are you seeing women retrench? I, I have it in my practice. I think, honestly, young women are less tolerant. They have, they have grown up you know, more recently, and they just can't believe that they're supposed to accept the stuff that we all put up with and that our mothers and grandmothers and God forbid women all around the world that even worse have put up with. So I do have some hope, which is why voter suppression is so important. I mean, you can see these moves to stop allowing college kids to vote on campus. You can see these moves to suppress, to raise the voting age. I mean, it's it's a movement that I have confidence in and I believe in and I think we're going to keep moving forward. But the backlash of when you see all these old white men in these state legislators deciding that we can't get health care that we want, that we are forced into pregnancy, forced pregnancy is a government interest now. Um, I think that it's all part of the same moment in time. Real quickly. uh we're out of time, Nancy, but I do want to ask you this. If Trump wins, if somehow there is a defense verdict, do you think that will have, you know, what, what impact will that have on the Me Too movement? You know, I, I don't like to give it too much import because it is a little bit of a quirky case. Um, there, there, uh, But I, I don't want to think that way. I don't think okay. he's going <laughs> to I am completely fine with us not even putting that into the universe. <laughs> All right. Nancy, thank you so much. We're out of time. What a great conversation. Such great insights and information on this case that we will all be following and we'll keep you up to date on what happens in the E. Jean Carroll versus Donald Trump uh, defamation and sexual assault case. Uh, the next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers right here on KBLA Talk 1580 and the Raw Report. Stay with us. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica.